Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Dami. A Tuesday tumble, stock sliding as Wall Street turns its attention to the Fed. Why one market pro says we're in a tactical no-man's land ahead of this week's Fed speech from Jay Powell in Jackson Hole. We are also keeping an eye on shares of Toll Brothers. A home builder on the move after reporting results will drill down on their big quarter. And later, the big beef over chicken. Wendy's, Popeye's, and Chick-fil-A all in a ruffle over who has the best chicken sandwich in the land. We are here to settle the score in our Fast Money Chicken Challenge. But we begin with a monster day for retail where something very interesting happened. Check out shares of Home Depot, TJX, Kohl's, Urban Outfitters all beating on EPS estimates but missing on revenue. The stock's having a mixed reaction to those results today. Urban Outfitters, the big after-hours mover since they reported after the bell. So which of these retailers is telling the true story of the health of the American consumer? Guy, what do you say? You know, that's a great question. The health of the American consumer, we, we can debate whether or not the consumer is healthy, whether the consumer is not healthy, but the one that tells the real story, to me, is it comes down to Home Depot. I will tell you that if we had a conversation last night, Mel, and you told me all the numbers at Home Depot is going to report today, and you said, where's the stock going to go? I said, stock's down 3%. Exact opposite happened. So I guess the market's giving Home Depot a pass once again. Again, you know, if you look at merchandise inventories, up 5% year over year. Sales growth wasn't there, yet their margins improved. So a mixed bag for Home Depot, given their valuation, given the tape we saw today, the fact that the stock's up today tells me, you know what, the stock wants to continue to go higher. So typically I'd say take profits here. I think you've got to stay with it, given what we saw today. In three months going into this report, the stock was up about 14%, so it's not like you know, it was super soft going in, and right. here they are with a rally. Uh, here they are with the rally. It's, it's, I mean, they're a premier operator, right? So they should trade at a good multiple. They do trade at a really good multiple. Uh, I, I, I agree with Guy. I was surprised at the strength. I w- wasn't surprised at, you know, when they pulled out some of the things that caused the weakness, right? Talked about lumber prices being a lot softer, even though it's not a huge deal for them. That, <laughs> that was... You know, I think the street was expecting that. They had telegraphed that earlier. I was, I was a little, not, I agree with Guy. I thought it was going to be down. But then if we look at something like Kohl's, you know, Kohl's wasn't terrible. I was surprised how much it was down. It wasn't a disaster at all. And it is really not like Kohl's was priced to perfection and they had to deliver. It wasn't yeah. like that at all. And I think that's a difficult thing about these retail earnings this week is, you know, where you thought there would be strength. Like, let's talk about TJ Maxx, right? Everybody's talking about how well TJ Maxx is going to do in this environment. Retailers aren't doing well, but they're going to get all the deals and everybody's going to go there. Yet TJ Maxx didn't do well. Then all, all these other companies come out and where you thought they would do bad. The stocks actually did fairly well. So I, I think this is more a comment on the confusion that's going on in the market. We're in this kind of period where we don't have a lot of clarity on a lot of different things. Uh, and it's just how people are trading. It has less to do with what re- what the U.S. consumer is doing and more to do with how stocks are trading at this point in time. So, so I mean, look, the consumer is going to get a tailwind from the housing market. They are going to get a benefit from lower interest rates. And, and as far as I'm concerned, first of all, just in the broader picture, uh, consumer confidence, if you look at the correlation of consumer confidence, 
participants in the NEHB index, the Housing Bureau index, um, they're very closely aligned. Until that really breaks down, I think the consumer's in fine shape. Um, when you look at actually the dynamics of lower interest rates and what that means for certain parts of the country, not all, um, that are doing much better. There actually is a bit of bifurcation there. But for Home Depot, um, look, the trends for housing spend, I think, are, remain extraordinary. So, yes, there was some one-off, I think, transitory, whether it's labor, whether it's lumber deflation, whether it is the fact that these guys actually are seeing some other price input pressures. They have vendors who have the ability to adjust their manufacturing right. uh, to other places, unlike many other retailers. And in terms of competition and in ter- terms of the landscape. Right now, I, I like Lowe's too, but they're so far ahead of Lowe's and they have no other competition. And then the professional services is a chance where they're actually seeing some margin in, in, you know, improvement. So the fact that these, they beat on the, on the EPS, some of that was a, a payroll tax, uh, sorry, a tax gain. Um, I, we'll talk about payroll tax later. But I, I do think that these numbers were very good and Home Depot is for the long haul. Yeah, I mean, Lowe's, some would argue that that's a turnaround story. And so if they're seeing the positive trends that Home Depot seeing, plus they've got that booster of a new management team pretty much that's been replaced, you know, over the past year or so, uh, then then that's that's why you would be in Lowe's. Yeah, I think so. And people want to make the comparison. They're two different. I mean, you've been in both. I mean, I'm a Home Depot. No, I've, type I've of guy. actually never been in a Lowe's. You've never no, been in a Lowe's. Only a Home Depot. It's a much no different, ex- no much different experience. Here. I mean, Home Depot, you go in there, you go where in there you, to. Where are you getting your Flex Seal tape, guy? I'm going to the Home Depot. Okay. And I might walk out with a drill or a hammer just or because. Some right. braids or, you know, but, you know, I say that in jest, but it happens to be true. Quickly back to Coles. I mean, Karen brings up a great point. It wasn't a disastrous quarter. This was a $75 stock in April. Valuation is not ridiculous. I get it. They have no earnings growth. But the fact that they leaned on this stock today on the back of that, on the back of that quarter, you know what it tells me? It means the shorts are going to lean into these retailers that just come in okay, and the, great, and the good ones are going to continue to get a pass. And that's what you're seeing now. So Kohl's with a 12% short interest, you know what? They're going to lean in on again tomorrow. The commentary actually was pretty positive yeah. when it came to tariffs. There wasn't well, much that they could pass on to the consumer at this point because they worked it out with their supply chain. Right. That's but we positive. don't know going forward. Uh-huh. Also, they plan on doing a big, I think it was three to $400 million uh, buyback. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, there was a lot to, to not hate, for sure, and yet people seem to hate it. One other thing, though, tomorrow we'll see Lowe's will report, Target will report. So we'll see how Lowe's does versus Home Depot. Remember, Lowe's had trouble with, with pricing before the tariff stuff got, real, got going. So we'll see how they do there. And Target will see, are they going to be like Walmart and continue to really uh, leverage on their online business, hopefully, long. I hope they are. This will be interesting to see. The department store thing, though, it seems like you're going to be hated no matter what you do. This was not a terrible release. So KSS, Nordstrom, which we're expecting later this week. Yeah, Yeah. I I don't think there's anything we're going to get out of Nordstrom in terms of a change in their business. Um, They're going to talk about things around the edges where there's going to be cost savings. Uh, We occasionally talk about the the chance for them to go private, but it's hard hard to really understand where they're supposed to trade right now. I don't think we found the right multiple, Um, but I I think you, with all these, and even Kohl's, Mel, when you're not in Lowe's, but you're in Kohl's, I mean, what do you there to buy that you can't buy on Amazon. So, so you know, the, every one of these these retailers, especially these big box big box guys, which are not Home Depot, mm-hmm. because Home Depot is not competing with Amazon, as far as I'm concerned. For most of the stuff, people go there to buy. But right. You can return your stuff from Amazon too. That's right. Do a Kohl's. Yes. Wow. That's sneaky. Driver yes. traffic. Nice. Um, Tim or, or, had mentioned or, the payroll tax, the possibility of one. Let's get to what could be uh, the possibility of a payroll tax. President Trump actually talking about it just a short time ago. Eamon Javers at the White House with all the details. Very confusing um, out <laughs> of the White House, me. Eamon. I've no, I don't know where 
anything stands. All right, so honest. we're following the bouncing ball on this. Yesterday, the Washington Post re uh, reported that they were discussing the idea of a new payroll tax cut here at the White House. The White House comms team put out a statement from a White House official uh, later in the day saying, uh, no, 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 that's not under discussion at this time downplaying the story. Well, the president today clearly decided he wanted to upplay the story uh, and talked about it uh, at the Oval Office, also talking about the idea of indexing capital gains, which is something that's been kicked around for a while, but the president says he's into that idea as well. None of this, he says, is because of fear of a recession. These are just ideas that they think are good ideas and want to move forward on. Here's what the president said today as we follow this story. A lot of people have been talking about indexing for many years, uh, and it's something that I am certainly thinking about. I can say that a majority of the people in the White House, uh, at the level that does this kind of thing, they like indexing. So it is something I'm thinking about. Payroll taxes, I've been thinking about payroll taxes for a long time. Whether or not we do it now or not, is, uh, uh, it's not being done because of recession. So the president's saying he is considering a payroll tax cut, but maybe not right now. He's also, he likes the idea of indexing, as you heard there. Interestingly, the president also, Melissa, said that he believes he can do an indexing change unilaterally, that is, without Congress. He said that he believes he can do it on his own, indexing capital gains, tax rates to inflation. That's something that conservative anti-tax uh, activists have wanted for a long time. Uh, that's a controversial idea. A lot of folks in Washington are skeptical that you can do it without Congress. I just got off the phone with Grover Norquist, the powerful anti-tax activist here in town. He said he believes, and he's been evangelizing at the White House, that the president can simply order the Treasury Secretary to tell the IRS to change the definition of cost in its regulations. And if they do that, they can have this change done overnight. It would be a huge sweeping change uh, to tax law and very controversial on Capitol Hill, I'm sure. So he can do that uh, on his own with the presidential powers, but for a payroll tax change, that would have to go through Congress. It's interesting because the president argues there is no recession, yet there's a need to do this. The Democrats will say the economy is okay. We don't want to do this, even though Obama did it a few years ago. Um, for a period of two years, lower the payroll tax to four plus percent. And President so Obama did it for a stimulus in the right. time of recession. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But but what are the chances of getting congressional approval of that? I mean, I think zero, right? Yeah. I mean, there's just no way the Democrats on Capitol Hill who control the House, uh, where the House Ways and Means Committee is, which writes tax law, uh, you know, they're just not going to give the president a big win on anything going into 2020. So I think the chances of that happening are probably zero or south of zero. Uh, if you can be south of zero. And I think uh, on the other front, this argument that the president can unilaterally change ca the capital gains rate by indexing to inflation, this is an argument that the Grover Norquist has been making publicly and has been making inside the White House to a lot of He told me he's spoken to everybody at the White House uh, except the president of the United States about this uh, and gotten a lot of good push, a lot of good feedback. And he feels like it's something this White House is about to do uh, any day now. Uh, that's going to be controversial. There are people in town who argue that that's just not possible under the law. All right. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers covering the White House for us. Um, what would be a bigger boost? If, if you could have either, what would be the bigger boost to the economy, in your view? Clarity. About what's going on, that'd be the bigger boost. Would you rather? That's my Would you rather clarity or clarity, Brian? Are, well, are we getting tariffs? Are we getting a payroll tax cut? Are we indexing capital gains? What do I do? You know, what, what's going on? My takeaway from this is that 
the Trump administration is looking for ways to have the tariff and the trade war go on longer than most people are anticipating, as Guy has said, for over a year now. And these are ways to offset it so you don't have a recession going into the election. And I think that's the only takeaway. Other than that, I don't know how you make a decision what, on this type of chaos. How does it change your current decision not knowing what the clarity is between a payroll tax reduction and index and capital gains? Well, or, or I mean, tariffs. Really, really, what really, if we don't get a payroll tax deduction? I understand, yeah. I understand the point of uncertainty and wanting clarity, but in terms of making an investment decision... It's just posturing. Look, this is, it, this is a, if this is all we have, this is very, very flimsy, okay? This isn't going to do anything. You take, payroll tax is coming from saved, not spent uh, income as far as I'm concerned. This isn't going to drive some kind of a spending, and it didn't work for Obama. So it, the best thing they can do is get rid of the tariffs. That, that, to me, is what we have to do. And if we don't like Huawei and ZTE, let's go after them. But that's not what this is all about. And, and I think, again, payroll tax to me, for a, an administration that's telling us how strong the economy is over and over again, makes zero sense. All right. We are hardly out of the retail woods. More big names are reporting results later this week. So what names need to be on your radar? Let's go off the charts with Chris Verone over at the Plasma. Chris, take it away. Hey, Mel. Yeah. So at least when we look at retail here, I think what we need to remember is how bifurcated this group is. So this is the XRT. I think very tactically, you're likely washed out enough right near that very big 38 level that's been support over the last couple of years. You have some oversold readings on RSI. We've seen that in the past. I think it's not unreasonable to think you can get some type of a bounce here, uh, maybe 40, 41. But I think what we need to remember is the trend of this chart. And the trend and the structural trend is still down. 50 is below the 200. 250 are both downward sloping. So when we take a step back, and look at the longer term picture here, this is the 10-year XRT chart, we still see one big top formation that's taken shape. So when you're rallying into a top, you still want to be a seller of strength or at least be very, very selective of what you own and what you don't own. So I'm going to give you one long and one short. On the long side, uh, reports tomorrow, Target, it's one of the better looking names here. I mean, this is a stock that has largely been basing for the better part of the last four or five years. It's pushing right up against that very critical 90 level. I think ultimately it breaks out above that. And one of the reasons we get there, if you look at target relative to the S&P, it's actually quietly starting to outperform here. So you're getting paid to wait before this breaks out. I think ultimately higher here is the call. Then on the short side, Foot Locker, FL, just the definition uh, of a top, failed, failed, lower high, broke a couple weeks ago, moving averages all downward sloping. I think this is a name that reports Friday. You can be short into the number. But I think the takeaway is it's a very, very diverse group. We're skeptical enough where you have to be very selective of what you own. Target good, Foot Locker is a short. Come on over, Chris. John will bring the chair in. I love the new music. It's yeah. very yeah, like really? it's Carol Burnett like. Making your ringtone. And yet it's not. Can you, awesome. you, can you teach me how to do that maybe in the commercial break? Maybe in the break. Are there any broad, I mean, I know you said you have to be careful what you own, but are there broader trends? Do, for instance, a lot of the department store charts look terrible and the Walmart and the targets of the world look a lot better? Yeah, I think what's so striking is how this just cuts along two very different lines. We know the department stores are bad, but they've been bad for years and years and years. Walmart's emerging strength here. Target's emerging strength here. So every name in this group is not a loser. And, you know, when you look at the XRT, there's such a diversity of stocks in there. There are things like Carvana. Carvana is a great picture. I don't know if you guys have seen it. 
high short interest about to break out here. Um, Walmart's actually starting to outperform Amazon here as well. So when you look for some of these big dynamic changes that are underway, it's happening at the stock level, not at the group level. I think that's very important. So I'm actually long footlocker. I know they report on Friday. And um, I mean, to me, I don't look at the charts. I look at the fundamental valuation and where this has been. And it has maybe not never, but almost never been an evaluation like this. That doesn't matter to you at all, is that right? You know, I, I certainly respect the fundamentals, and this is kind of trying to marry what you see and what I see. What troubles me a little bit about the group is when you look at kind of best of breed in the footwear space, Nike, that's also starting to deteriorate here a little bit. So you have to kind of wonder if there's a change starting to play out in that group. So that leaves me at least a little troubled being too long into the footlocker number uh, on Friday. So, Chris, I'm glad you brought up Nike because a lot of what's, I mean, we know what's going on. People are going direct-to-consumer. Nike is making this big direct-to-consumer push. Are there actual companies like, maybe not Nike, but other names that you like out there that are direct-to-consumer plays so they can still be retail, but they're actually selling a product? Well, Carvana is very interesting on the long side uh, cars. Look at Lulu. Stock trade's great. And, you know, I think what's important here, we don't want to extrapolate too much about the health of the consumer from these names. These have been bad charts for a long time. Look how great the Home Builders Act, right? So uh, there's another whole story here that maybe the consumer's better than people think. Chris, thanks. Thank you. Let's see, Christopher on Strategus, quickly. J.W. Nordstrom's. I know it's crazy, but it's a huge shortage. It's just 27%. There's a journal article yesterday saying Nordstrom's has done everything right, but the stock has been suffering. Now 30% of their sales are e-commerce. I'm telling you, if they just say something remotely decent, you're going to have a huge short-covering rally. We've seen it before in JWN. Coming up, Toll Brothers reporting after the bell. We'll tell you what has the stock coming off its highs in the after-hour session. Plus, we're gearing up for Jay Powell's big speech from Jackson Hole Friday. Top strategist Tony Dwyer will tell you what to expect and how to position your portfolio. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you. Check out shares of Toll Brothers on the move after reporting earnings. Let's get to Rahel Solomon back at headquarters for more on the story. Rahel. Hi, Melissa. Yeah, very volatile after hours for Toll Brothers. So the company saw a nice bounce right after reporting a beat on the top and bottom lines, but now trading lower, as we can see, in after hours. So one potential reason is even though the Pennsylvania-based home builder did beat expectations, sales are down quite a bit from a year ago. CEO Douglas Yearly acknowledged that contracts were down said modestly, but also said that low mortgage rates, a limited supply of new and existing homes, and a strong employment picture are providing tailwinds. And those lower mortgage rates, one reason the home builders have had such a good year, up about 30% year to date. And we'll hear a lot more tomorrow morning on the conference call. One thing specifically that investors will be listening for, any signs of a slowdown in the luxury real estate market, and also any potential pressure on construction costs due to tariffs. Melissa, I'll send it back to you. Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon at headquarters. Guy Dami. $35 is where you buy this against. Listen, since April, the stock has been trending slightly lower. It's not a big deal. People say valuation is compelling. The quarter was good. A lot of the metrics in the quarter were good, but the stock just can't get out of its own way. So if you want to play it, you buy it, you get long, you stop 
up below 35. But personally, I see no compelling reason. What I was the home going to ask you, you is oh. before you oh, jumped sorry. out of the gate, wow. like it's yeah. like uh, slow down there. False start. Camper. False start. Like, Camper. Uh, what's that guy's name? Usain Bolt. I asked you yesterday, Depot or Builders? Oh, that's right. Right. That's I will, right. I and I said it. Depot. If and you, you recall. said Depot. Nice. Given the quarter. Considering that we all we thought that based on the numbers, oh, Depot mm, wouldn't trade up so strongly. A day later, right, same right. question. Uh, Seymour, uh, look, Great I have question. to I have to be consistent. Definitely, Depot. Um, I think in Toll you have a, a very interesting valuation at a time when I think there are tailwinds for their core business. Um, there's some challenges. They're trying to switch out of their traditional luxury single family home business to get into more entry level dynamics, and and you know that could be the next catalyst for the company. But in the short term, I just think Home Depot is such a strong story. So that was last block. So I'll pass it to Karen. I, I like the, you know, the depot story. I like that consumer element. I have been confounded. I can't understand why the home builders don't trade better, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It doesn't get any better. People are employed, right? 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 I guess they jobs, can't find pay- Rates I mean, are low. It doesn't right. make sense to me, and yet but if you look they at never trade better. So yeah. you sort of feel like, oh, and, I haven't missed and anything. And what, what environment would they trade people? higher? What right. else do you want, right? Yes. As to me, it's, it's, I mean, given those two, you've got to go with Home Depot. But that's only because, to me, Toll Brothers is a bond trade. So I'd rather be long bonds than try to figure out what's going that on. for us? Sure, because they're go- Toll Brothers should do better. And the home builders should do better with lower rates. So if you happen to have a view that you're going to have lower rates, why not just buy bonds so you get those lower rates, then worry about Toll Brothers. Is there going to be tariff impacts? What's the what's the construction going on? You know, all these different things that go into it when the core of the thesis is low rates. So ah. just be long bonds. Treasury, I thought you meant Toll Brothers bonds. So oh, was, no, I'm sorry. Re- really quickly, though, if you, if you look at the chart on Toll Brothers and you take it back 10 plus years, you can actually see that in the blow off top we hit for markets in January 24th or 26th of 2018, um, Toll Brothers came within about 6% of a double top, essentially, of the high from 2005 when we had this euphoric, silly housing market in this country that was dangerous. So if you, you can't tell me that it hasn't come back to its former glory. And trading around here is probably where it, where it belongs. All right. We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what else is coming up on the show. Game on in the streaming wars. Apple upping the ante in a big way. We'll break down who will take the crown in the streaming race. And later, calling foul. It's a full-blown food fight over who's got the best chicken sandwich. We'll settle the score in a good old-fashioned Fast Money taste test. So don't fly the coop. Fast Money is back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. It is a huge week ahead for the Fed. Tomorrow we get minutes from the Fed's last meeting, and then it's all about Jackson Hole. Fed Chair Jerome Powell speaks on Friday. And our next guest says we are in a no-man's land until we hear from the Fed chief himself. Let's bring in Tony Dwyer, chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity. Tony, great to see you. Great to be back, Mel. Um, until the Fed chief speaks, meaning Friday or meaning the next Fed meeting? Well, you got the FOMC minutes on Wednesday, so you're going to hear what the two dissenters in the last rate cut meeting had to say. Rosengren's already talked a little bit. It, you know, the life of me, I don't get it, about how we don't need to cut rates right. when the 10 years at a 150 and the lower bound of the Fed funds is 2%. So, you know, I, I always love to remind clients that the market has a little bit better of a track record in calling recessions than the Fed. So, you know, we think that the Fed needs to get aggressively more accommodative. And, what, and this is going to be counterintuitive, so let me explain it for a bit. The more aggressive the Fed gets in cutting rates, the quicker the long-term rates are going to go up. Because remember, when the Fed's accommodative, it kickstarts economic activity. That creates long-term inflation. So that's how you know when the Fed's ahead of the market. is isn't when they cut rates. That's, that's already discounted. It's when they cut it enough that the 10-year bond yield starts to go up in yield. Enough meaning a 50 basis point cut? 50 basis points cut or a 25 basis point cut with some kind of monster accommodative framework that I don't know about right now, but they need to get ahead of the market. What's happened here is, yeah, the market forecasted a 25 basis point cut, but it was such a, a poor effort on the, on the press conference. The market wasn't convinced they're serious, and the long bond kept going down in yield. All right, so let me just play devil's advocate for a minute. If you think that the – well, I think it's not the Fed. It's the trade situation that's problematic. So – if the Fed does cut like this, and there's still the uncertainty about trade, and that does nothing to the market, where does that then leave the Fed? The Fed, the Fed is clearly trying not to be Japan and like Europe, right? So what's happening right now? It's becoming like Japan and Europe because long-term bonds keep coming down toward negative rates. So I would suggest that you're right. It's also the tariff situation. What you want to do is incent lenders to lend. How do you do that? You have a steeper yield curve, right? You get your money short, you lend it long. You have to have a spread between what they get their money at and what they use it for, whether it's investing in the curve or, or lending the money. So our, our opinion is, yes, the trade deficit has kind of created this angst situation. But think about what lower rates have done. See, our whole bull story, Karen, isn't that the economy is a disaster and the Fed's got to cut rates. That was the bull story for the first half. The whole bull story for the second half is a reacceleration on what the lower market rates have done. I've talked to two people today in the last 15 minutes, I swear to God, one saved $1,200 a month on their mortgage, one saved $400 a month by refinancing their mortgage. You know you're in a recession when you could have rates go down to zero and banks won't give you the money, right? My, my broker, my mortgage broker said he's going bananas. His, the, the amount of volume coming into him and being executed both on a refi and origination is off the charts. In a recession, that doesn't happen. Rates come down and they don't want to give you the money because you're a risk. That's not the situation. It may become the situation, but again, it comes down to the yield curve, Karen. They've really got to try and re-steepen the yield curve. And they could do it by a small cut and big tone where the long end believes them and actually trades higher. So you don't need a massive rate cut. You need an accommodative stance that convinces the long end you're not going to become like Japan and Europe. So, Tony, you've, you've talked about the yield curve and how 
Uh, you don't get a recession until the yield curve is inverted and there's no lending, but also when it starts to re-steepen. Re, re so let's say the Fed's successful with this. They re-steepen the yield curve. How long to the recession? Historically, in the last three cycles, and levered cycles similar to now versus the 70s that were really brief and unlevered, you get a 34% upside in the S&P 500 and a median 22 months with a recession fully two years away. If you look at all of the last seven cycles, you get 21% upside from the initial date of inversion over 18 months with a recession 19 months away. So it would be almost historically unique, BK, to have, have the economy magically go into a recession this year. When we, so many people are refining. What happens when you refi? I have somebody that refied. Not only did they refi their mortgage, they took their home equity line and stuffed it into you lower a mortgage. Your cash burn. Right, you lower your cash burn. What do you do with that? Well, we spend it. Duh. We take out more debt and we spend the money. As long as the interest expense doesn't go up relative right. to income, we're good. Tony, good to see you. Thank you, Tony. Thank Dwyer, you. Thanks, Annuity. Um, Tony was talking about the Fed getting ahead of the markets, but at this point, I mean, with the ECB in play, with another rate cut, what's going on in Europe, I and mean, can the Fed actually? get ahead to the degree it needs to, given what other central banks are doing at this point? Yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be tough. Tony, Tony is always a rational voice in the chaos. And I, I, I get concerned here that I don't think the Fed can get ahead of this. And, and I think we've, we've talked about the preemptive Fed is usually equity positive. Uh, but we're in, a, we're in a market right now where I think um, rates need to stabilize. And I think some of this, I, I agree with Karen. I mean, because the, you know, the, the, the policy is really uh, what's dictating where we are. In the same way that I think, by the way, the policy is what, with the tax cuts we got, which were a sugar high, pushed the Fed more aggressively into a picture. The Fed is chasing uh, fiscal policy which, uh, or policy in general, which I, I, I think has been um, sporadic. Gold market continues to rally in the face of a dollar that seems to continue to rally. I mean, wh- something's, something's going on in the gold market. I'll say it again, and I'm not one of these tinfoil wearing, I'm not, but gold market goes higher. He's what? Minor, tinfoil tinfoil wearing. wearing hat people. You know, the, you ever see those things on like the... Have you ever worn it? No. Only in, That's good. Yeah, years ago. <laughs> but I think the gold miners is where you want to be. I think they'll continue to grind higher from here. That's what this all leads to, in my opinion. Coming up, Apple looking to take the crown in the streaming wars. We'll tell you what the tech giant's $6 billion bet on the content means for the space. Plus, Wendy's, Popeyes, and Chick-fil-A embroiled in a chicken fight that has dominated Twitter for the last few days. So whose chicken sandwich is really king? We will settle the score. That's when he's back right chicken after. Chicken dance. Sweet. Welcome back to Fast Money. The streaming war is kicking into high gears. Apple pours more than $6 billion into star-studded programming for its upcoming Apple TV Plus streaming service. Apple also going head-to-head with Disney, which plans to launch its streaming service this fall. But the space is already crowded. Big players like Hulu, Netflix, HBO. So will Apple be able to take a big bite out of the streaming space? Tim. They will. Uh, I, I'm not sure if this is going to do anything for Apple's revenues at this point, uh, at least in the short run. I do think that Apple Plus and the dynamics on the services side are, are part of a overall bigger picture. But it has everything to do with what you don't want to invest in in Netflix. I mean, look at look how Netflix has performed since Disney made their Disney Plus uh, announcement. And you've got HBO Max and you've got now Disney. I mean, they're coming for you and they're coming hard. And that valuation makes zero sense in this environment. 
When do we want to see it pay off then? I mean, at what point, you know, if, if Apple can spend yeah. $6 billion, and I understand it's, it's, a, it's a pittance it is compared to Apple. the cash yeah. pile yeah. that they have. Yeah. But still, as a shareholder... I, I'm, it doesn't move the needle, really, from yeah. that part of the story. I mean, obviously, you talk about services, that does move sure. the needle. But I agree with Tim that they, how do you have an Apple valuation and a, and a Disney valuation, Time Warner valuation, and I know they're not the cleanest because they have other things, and then a Netflix valuation... Way up there, that doesn't make sense. So where, how does that get adjusted? It has One to comes be, down, I, I think Apple it has goes to, up. Well, Disney's come they up. They could both come Disney's up. Disney's definitely come up. It has yeah. pre-rated. I mean, and it should. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, this, this is the, the do-or-die moment for Netflix. Tim's talked about it for a long time. Once competition comes in there, they no longer have that moat around their business. The moat around their business is spending a ton of money. Well, now you're up against companies that have massive balance sheets, Apple and Disney, to throw at it. So I would be short, probably, of Netflix. I think that's the trade here and maybe long of some Hollywood real estate because people in Hollywood are going to get paid. You were uh, a Grey's Anatomy fan, right? I can imagine. What do you mean, was? You, you uh, watch all <laughs> 85 seasons Nice of lap it. track. Um, Shonda Rhimes, powerhouse, went to Netflix. And so you would think that and would so, help, right? Exactly. But, you know, it's interesting. And Tim, good for Tim, by the way. He stood to his guns in Netflix, and it's panning out now in a meaningful way. But, you know, there's another company sort of in the Netflix world that we've talked about from time to time, reported on August 8th. Maybe you know it. Heard of the, the Roku? Oh, yeah. That's been an absolute monster. So you talk about valuations not mattering. Well, clearly it doesn't matter there. But people say, in terms of over the top, they're the pioneers. They're getting it done. A lot of people think at the whose stock expense? Can, can, at whose expense? And you Netflix. wonder, maybe it is Netflix. So maybe Roku, out of all the names we just mentioned, really? maybe that's the one that's emerging. Self, would Look you at, rather, 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 rather? Well, well yeah. Yeah. They, they are the pure play of what Netflix used to be. Exactly. I mean, Netflix at one point was the portal. It was, it was essentially, it was the pipe. It was the final mile, whatever cliche you want to throw so at So you would there. rather have the pipe yes. and the final mile as opposed to a pipe plus content. Look, Netflix... Um, heroically has moved from being the pipe to producing some real content uh, and competing and being way ahead of everybody else. But at this point, the guys with the real content and the guys that don't really have content uh, in Apple uh, are coming for them at a time when the pure play, people can appreciate the pure play. The pure play works with Apple. Roku loves Disney. Roku loves Apple. Um, that's, that's the call here. Still ahead, Salesforce gearing up to report earnings this week. We'll tell you how options traders are betting on the cloud stock ahead of the numbers. But first, the Fast Money Chicken Challenge. Wendy's, Popeye's, and Chick-fil-A locked in a big beef over who has the best chicken. We're going to put it to a taste test and settle the score when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Beyond Meat soaring today after uh, J.P. Morgan coming out with a juicy note on the stock. It is our call of the day. In fact, J.P. Morgan upgrading the stock to an overweight, saying with another guidance raise potentially ahead in the stock, about 40% off its highs, we think the stock is appealing once again. Beyond Meat has indeed cratered off of the highs after the company announced a secondary offering on its earnings report back in July. But at this price is Beyond meat looking a little bit more tasty guy I, I for me no and I, but but let me say this you know when it was a hundred dollars and we talked about people taking half their position off and riding the rest i mean i thought it was overdone there so it's hard for me you know in terms of just being diligent and being forthright it's hard for me to wrap my hands around the story maybe if we get a rally and it can stay above that secondary price for a few days or so I'll re- take a re- another look at it. But here, no, I can't get my arms around this at all. J.P. Morgan also citing the possibility of getting some more food service contracts, so sort of big commercial customers, not just the retail element. Uh, BK? 
Yeah, I think that's the real play here. And actually, I kind of like it here. Now, I'm not talking about valuation, not talking about any of that. But all I know is there's tremendous demand for their product. The stock has traded down into support area. Let's call it the 136, 140 level. So it's not without risk, but you have a price to shoot against and you have the potential for more wins on the commercial side. So I think it's worth a shot. Karen? I I don't know. I mean, they have to guide higher and they have to sign up. Uh, more partnerships if they have any shot of, of supporting this valuation. So that should already be baked in. To me, you know, it's on a 45% short interest. How do you, how do you play that game? It seems so risky. I, I believe in the concept absolutely for sure, but also I believe in competitors coming in. I couldn't own it here. Tim? Remember the chip witch guy? I mean, this this is the chip witch of today. I mean, everybody made a chip witch within within a year. So um, I think the fact that this is going and you're getting your food service contracts just means that all of the you know how about Cisco getting involved? Not the not the tech company Cisco, (laughs) but the one with us. I mean, you know, you you have all these dynamics where all these major food players um, now that people are introduced to this taste. Why do these guys own this space? There's no way they do. This valuation is insane, and this is going to look comical. I bet it's, I bet it's $80 before it's $200. Hmm. All right, well, from fake meat to a real big beef on Twitter, drama turning into an all-out chicken fight between Chick-fil-A, Popeyes, and Wendy's. The three fast food joints in a flame war over who is the best chicken sandwich. It started when Popeyes launched theirs. That ruffled the feathers of Chick-fil-A, which tweeted, Bun plus chicken plus pickles equals all the love for the original. Popeyes fired back, quoting that tweet with a simple, y'all good? And the battle was on. Wendy's entered the fray, tweeting, y'all out here fighting about which of these fools has the best, second best chicken sandwich. That got Popeyes clucking mad, saying, sounds like someone just ate one of our biscuits because y'all looking thirsty. And it didn't stop there. Several tweets and a ton of social media traffic later, the fight raged on. So we thought we'd settle the score for ourselves. It is... The Fast Money Chicken Challenge. Guy here will decide which chicken sandwich reigns supreme once and for all. Guy will put the blindfold on while guys do Please make sure that I am... Well... I don't have... I'm visually impaired here. Okay, he passes my test. Jonah, why don't you bring in the chicken? Mel, you might, done. you're my eyes, Mel, as I've said before, so you okay. have to help me. So we're going to start off... In the no particular order. The smell is wafting now. It is uh, quite aromatic. What is what is the rules of this game? What am I trying to ascertain? Am I going to tell you the best chicken the best sandwich? Chicken sandwich. Okay. Very straightforward. Thank you. Here you go. Mm. Oh, this is you give me the actual dish. Do you want me to handle? No, 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 no. You got the dish there. Yes. <laughs> That's a good sandwich. Okay. There's a, t- there's a hint of mayonnaise, which means it's not Chick-fil-A, but I like that. I'll come back to you that. You like the mayonnaise yeah. for the moistness. Okay. Sandwich number two. Okay. <laughs> I don't need the sound effects in my ear. That's a feeble attempt at a sandwich. Oh, feeble. Yeah. Ooh, wow. Strong words. And the third one. Oh, this is substantial. This is a, a big, a big sandwich. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Ready? The third one was Chick Fil A, one of my all-time favorites. The first <laughs> one was clearly Wendy's, which has a hint of the mayonnaise, much like their burger. The second one was what? What? Popeyes. Wrong. Women wrong. Ron Keebler. One was right. Yeah. It was Chick Fil A, but you reversed the second two. 
Wendy's was the feeble, what you call wow, the Wendy's feeble sandwich. Wow, Wendy's is not getting it done, people. And Popeye's. <laughs> I'm just telling you now, people, Wendy's. Sandwich. <laughs> you can take the blindfold. I mean, unless you want to. No, no, no. Well, I mean. Show, it's completely up to you. The Chick fil A is. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm surprised at Wendy's. I'm really surprised at Wendy's. That wow. Popeye's sandwich was an excellent sandwich. It's a large, it's a large Wendy's, sandwich. Wendy's, I mean. Yes. You folks over there at Wendy's, you've got to ramp up your game because that is a feeble chicken sandwich. So they lost. Clearly the, the loser there. And I'm going to take my Chick-fil-A back to the desk, if that's okay, Mel, All right. for that's the remainder good. of this show. Based on this, anybody have any recommendations? BK? Oh, you got to sell Wendy's on that. I mean, the <laughs> fact that guy doesn't like it, that's, 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 you don't need that. So you sell Wendy's on that. Uh, you can't really buy Chick-fil-A, but you go to Chick-fil-A and get their nice sandwich. Wendy's is up 32% this year, by the way, Guy. Just mm. on, on the back of that feeble he's sandwich. A, he's a tastemaker, he's known to be. Sorry. All right, coming up, reaching for the cloud, how the options market is betting the stock could go sky high when it reports results. We'll break down all the action after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Salesforce uh, up just 6% this year. The software giant has been on a shopping spree this summer, buying Tableau software for more than $15 billion and Click software for just over a billion dollars. The options market now thinks those acquisitions could be a big focal point when Salesforce reports earnings on Thursday. Mike Coe is in San Francisco with the action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. So when Salesforce reports earnings over the long term, it's actually moved a decent bit, about, or a little over 6%. More recently, over the last eight quarters, those moves have averaged about 3%. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about 5%. One of the trades that we did see today was a buyer of the 150, 155 call spread. The buyer spent $1.27 a contract on 500 of those. That's somebody who's making a bullish bet that the stock's going to be higher by the end of the week. That trade breaks even up 3.6%. But we'll pay three to one if the stock rises six percent or more. But that wasn't actually the only interesting trade that we saw in Salesforce today. One of the other interesting things we saw was a sale of 1,200 of the November 120, 175 strangles. That's selling both the put and the call, and using those proceeds to help finance the purchase of a January 2021 130 put. The buyer of this trade spent about $1.1 million to buy what I think is probably a hedge against a long-term stock holding and using basically the low that we saw late last year and this year's highs just shy of 170 basically as the goalpost to which they think the stock is going to go in the short term, but basically being concerned that there could be some risk in the longer term just in case the market turns south. Guy, are you... Uh, to- I've been bullish in Salesforce, but listen, so the last 20 out of the last 20 quarters, they've beaten revenue. EPS has beaten 18 out of the last 20 quarters. And Billings, I think, have beaten consensus 17 out of the last 18 quarters. They do everything right. It's just a question of what's the reaction to the stock price. I think last quarter is up 10%. In this environment, I think valuation matters. So although I'm bullish in Salesforce, I think you've got to wait and see what they say post-earnings. Yeah, I actually think I, both of these trades are kind of interesting because if you look at how the stock is traded, it's between 140 and 170, effectively. 160 is kind of your resistance point, so that makes sense that you might want to sell something against that. I like the idea of having protection against the portfolio or against Salesforce in this particular case because I think in this environment it's very difficult to tell how the stock's going to trade, whether the earnings are good or bad. Well, I, I think if you look at the chart, it, it reminds me of some other charts like, you know, 
different businesses, but in terms of leadership and, and price for growth, whether it was NVIDIA, whether it was Netflix, um, these, are, these are charts that um, look like you've seen the best days, at least for this cycle, uh, probably 18 months ago. Salesforce, in terms of new products, has a lot of competition out there. Uh, the, the move into cloud is something that we're seeing uh, a number of other players. Obviously, Oracle's competing. Obviously, there's other folks in the space. Um, so I, the valuation is what this comes down to. Companies, obviously, executing. People swear by the company. Um, Benny, I mean, there's no question that this is a great story. Mike, have you seen um, a lot of options activity in the sort of the related read-through plays? Yeah, I mean, we've actually been seeing quite a lot of options activity, I think, over the course of the last 10 trading days or so. I mean, obviously, when volatility picks up, and I think Tim was making a good point, when you look at names like this one, where the multiples are a little bit higher, people get a little bit more nervous about what these stocks can do. But, you know, another thing I would point to is just take a look at where stocks like this one have come from just recently. This thing was not, you know, Shy, just shy of 160 not that long ago. I think options traders in this case, where the options prices are not that elevated going into an important catalyst like this one, are trying to take advantage of that fact and are basically getting those three to one payoffs if it moves a relatively modest amount. Six percent for a stock like this in this environment, I don't think is a lot to you know, ask either one way or the other, frankly. All right, Mike, thanks for that. Mike Ho in San Francisco. For more options action, be sure to tune into our live show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, final trades. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Zeppelin coming in. Oh, Loving that. Rocking rock hard. Um, check out shares of Toll Brothers. The stock uh, hitting after-hour session lows down by more than 2%. We should note the company's conference call is tomorrow. Lower third-quarter profit sales declined, but it did beat analyst estimates. So there we are. Again, conference call tomorrow. We have a quick I just, we did a well, taste test. communication breakdown. So we just want to, we want to be Clarify. transparent about this. That's what we are here. And that is, uh, we, we picked up a Wendy's sandwich. It ended up being the uh, dollar menu version of right. the sandwich. So it may not be as good as It was as not as robust the as the price, higher end yes. one. So I want to cut Wendy some slack. If this throws off there, I apologize. Exactly. I'm we, a big enough person to say that. We all, we all, we, we just want to make sure the viewers have all the information. Yes, to because make if you get the spicy judgments. chicken sandwich, it's substantial. That was not a substantial meal right. for somebody maybe, of my maybe size. <laughs> maybe we'll taste the, uh, the one tomorrow. Final trade. Uh, we talked about Apple and content. While that is not the reason to, to buy this company, certainly the follow-through that we're seeing from this company in terms of their service offerings, of which content is one of them, is something to be excited about. PK. You know, you, you make hay when the sun shines, so you sell SPY or buy some puts, protect yourself here. Karen. Yes, deep in the heart of retail earnings, I like Target for tomorrow. Guy. Junior gold miners, Melissa Lee, that comes out GDXJ. That does it for us to see back here tomorrow. Y'all. Five more Fast Money, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.